0: I think that'll be exciting. All right, let's turn to 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13 today. I always have to be careful when I turn on the recording because if I turn it on during singing time, people will not listen to the podcast. <laughs> as soon as they turn it on, I go, whoa, what is that? Uh, 1 Samuel 13. We've been talking about the heart. This month in February, and today I want to look at a heart after God, a heart after God. And uh, we've heard before, more than likely, David was a man after God's own heart. And I want us to look today at why that is. We know David was not a perfect man. David made some some huge errors in his life. You know, we, we like to... Um, Size up sin. We like to say there's big sins and little sins. Um, I believe there is varying degrees of punishment in hell. I believe the Bible teaches us that. We're not talking about that today, but um, I think it's it's often different than the way we think of it. But nonetheless, uh, all sin is bad. No sin is good. No sin is okay. Just because it was small doesn't mean it was okay. David, though, committed what we, we oftentimes would consider big sins. And yet we still read in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament and Acts as well that David was a man after God's own heart. Why is that? Uh, What does that mean? And how can I be a person after God's own heart? I want to be someone who follows after God. I want to be someone who God looks at and goes, he's a follower of me. I'm pleased with that person. I'm pleased with Vince and the way that he lived his life and the, the way that he served me and the way that he worshipped me and the way that he honored me. That's what I want to be. So what is it uh, to be uh, someone after God's own heart or to have a heart after God? Look in First Samuel 13. We'll read two verses. We'll pray and then we'll look at it. First uh, Samuel 13. Let's look in verse number 13 as well. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. We're going to look at King Saul today a little bit, we're going to look at David a little bit. More importantly, we're going to look at the Bible and see what it is to have a heart after God. Lord, I pray for your help. We need it this morning. God, I pray that you would clear my mind. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give me what I need today. The, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would use your word to impact lives today. God, I pray that you would help me as I present these passages, that I would do it clearly, and Lord, that I would do it correctly. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive exactly what you'd have for us to receive today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look really at two thoughts. My sermon notes today... there's less of them in the morning service than there is in the afternoon service. Don't get up too much hope because of that. But uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, today there's only two points. So we're not good Baptists today. You have to have three to be good Baptists. But uh, we're just going to do two today. The first one I want us to look at is my wants and my desires lead to a heart after me. My hearts and my desires lead to me having a heart after me, (laughs) not after God. In 1 Samuel, we see a few different stories. We see here, first of all, I want you to look in 1 Samuel 8. Uh, 1 Samuel 8, we'll kind of look at the whole context of this, this passage that we read this morning already. But in 1 Samuel 8, we see the people, the children of Israel. And uh, they, are, they are upset for good reason with Samuel. Samuel's the prophet of God. And Samuel was kind of the leader, so to say. He was the voice of God at this time. And the Bible tells us that the Samuel's children were not good. They didn't follow in what Samuel had done. They were not uh, honor, honorable people. They were not good people. They were, they were wicked people. Um, the Bible says in verse number um, 2. Now the name, uh, no, let's not do that one. Uh, in verse number 3. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after Lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. They weren't honest people. And typically you kind of have that next generation, kind of kind of in a way can, can, can fulfill the leadership of the, next, the last generation. And, uh, and not necessarily that they would lead, but they were supposed to be important people. They were supposed to be uh, um, a spiritual people in the land, and they were not that. And so the people decided, we want something different. Um, we want a king like all the other nations have. and I, To me, it's always kind of makes me smile. Because as a kid, you always go, well, I want that. Why? Because all my friends have it. I want to go there. Why? Because all my friends are going. Uh, I want this. Why? Because everybody else seems to be doing it. Okay, that's what the children of Israel did. Adults. And they said, Samuel, your kids are a mess. And that's on Samuel. That's not the sermon today, but... That's an important lesson to learn. But he says, Samuel, your kids are a mess. We don't trust anymore this, and we want a king like the other nations have. Verse 5 says, And uh, said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want a king. Now, Samuel was not happy about this. Um, it says in verse number 6, it displeased Samuel. But do we really care if Samuel was displeased? Not really. It matters about what God feels. God, this was not the timing. This was not the place. This was not the situation that uh, uh, that if it was going to go perfectly smooth, that God, uh, that God would have necessarily done this. But God knows all things. God is in control of all situations. God knew this was going to happen. He tells Samuel in verse number 6, um, Verse number 7, excuse me. He said, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So Samuel was God's man, so to say. We use that term out of context way too often in today's time. But Samuel was God's man. God placed Samuel there. He was the prophet of God uh, to give instruction, to give wisdom, and to lead uh, the people. And God said to Samuel, they're asking for a king, and and they have not rejected you, Samuel. Although when we read, that's what it looks like. God says, they've rejected me. Now, I will tell you this. As a pastor, this mindset helped me a lot in the early days of pastoring. I took a church that had been through some turmoil, and uh, they were used to a certain way of, of church. And so when I came in, there were some small changes, and, some, and I was a different personality than the previous guy, and, uh, but I was doing things the way that I believed God wanted me to do them. And there were people who'd get upset about that. Some people would leave. Some people would gossip. Some people would uh, go to my wife and say, you need to tell them to change, and all these kinds of things, all kinds of fun, exciting things. But I came to the realization that if I was doing what God wanted me to do, and people rejected that, they weren't rejecting me. Now, if I was doing what I wanted to do, and people rejected it, then they were rejecting me. But if I was doing what God wanted me to do, I couldn't take it personal. And that's basically what God tells Samuel. Hey, hearken to them. Do do what they've asked. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They're not letting me reign over them anymore. They're not looking to me for their authority. And so that's exactly what happens. Look in verse, um, uh, that's what he says in verse number 7. And so we see the people, they had a desire, they had a want, but it was for themselves. All the other nations are doing it. (laughs) We want a king. It's not a people following after God's heart. Then look back in chapter 13 where we read a few verses already and kind of set the stage for what we already read. In verse number 8, we see King Saul. Saul was now made king, um, and, uh, and so we see in verse number 8 uh, now, this is obviously a little bit after all of this, but it says that he, Saul, tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. So they had, had set up a time we're going to meet at this time at this place. But Samuel came not into, uh, not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and a peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, uh, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together uh, in, in Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me into Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I have forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Uh, Saul, we're going to see this again in, in just a second. Saul always had a, 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 he was wise, he was a smart guy. And he said, I did this for good reasons. I did wrong for the right reason." Is it ever right to do wrong? I've been asked that question before. Um, I, don't, I think the answer is no. Um, is it ever right to do wrong? So then you get into the, the silly questions. Well, lying. It's, it's lying if you try to surprise somebody. You lie to them. Okay. Now we're just getting picky. Um, is it ever right to do wrong? No, it's not, it's not right to do wrong. Uh, or else it would be called right and not wrong. So it's never never right to do wrong. Does that make any sense? I hope so. Okay. So we see Saul here. He says he says, "Well, Samuel." And I could I don't I'd be out of context, but I could preach a sermon on on this is why it's important to show up on time. Um, you're going to cause other people to sin. Show up on time. Uh, but uh, Samuel Samuel wasn't there when he was supposed to be there. When you don't show up on time, Pastor sins because he gets bitter. Uh, so show up on time. Uh, Samuel. Samuel was supposed to be there. They said, "We're gonna Saul, I'll we'll meet you here at this time at this place. Saul's waiting there. Samuel does not show up. Saul, uh, you know, we always blame Saul. We say, oh, he was impatient and he was whatever. I, I don't know. There's probably a lot of us that have done the same thing Saul did. But Saul looked around. The people were scattered. There was the Philistines uh, that were moving closer. And so he decides, you know what? I'm not going to wait for Saul anymore. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do the sacrifice. It wasn't Saul's place to do And uh, so Saul did it. It says as soon as he he did so, Samuel showed up. Isn't that convenient? Samuel showed up and he says, Saul, what'd you do? Saul told him the story. Well, you weren't here. And the Philistines are close. And and I was afraid that they would come down upon us and attack us. And so uh, I had not made, it says in verse number 12, I have not made supplication of the Lord. I know I need to do that. Remember there were times, remember Joshua and Ai? Joshua didn't go to God at all about Ai. He just said, hey, send the spies out. The spies came back and said, oh, this is no problem. And, and Joshua said, okay, cool. Go, go take it with 200 men. And it didn't work out too well. Saul says, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm going to make supplication to the Lord. And he did. And, and uh, Samuel says, well, you've done foolishly. That was not a good move. That was not a smart decision on your place, on your part. And I believe it's because Saul had, I think he had his own wants and desires in this. I believe Saul was impatient. I believe Saul... And again, I don't blame him any more than I, would, than I would blame me if I made the same mistake. It's not like Saul is the most wicked man to ever walk the earth. But he made a mistake. He did wrong. And so Samuel told him, he said, uh, you would have been, I'm paraphrasing now, verse 13 and 14, you, you and your family could have been set up on the throne for the rest of, of eternity, but because you've done foolishly, God is now going to choose someone else to sit on your throne. Verse 14, he says, The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. What does that mean? That means Saul was not a man after God's own heart. Why was Saul not a man after God's own heart? Well, it tells us in verse number 14. uh, At the end of the verse, he says, uh, Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. You didn't do what God told you to do can't be someone after God's own heart if you're not going to do what God tells you to do. Look in chapter 15, still with King Saul. Chapter 15. My wants, my desires, they lead to a heart after myself. Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse number 1. We're going to read a number of verses, so hang with me. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Listen to God. Do what he says. Verse 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, and when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together, and numbered them, uh, and, and uh, Talaam, two hundred thousand footmen and ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek, and laid wait in the valley. Here's the command Saul's been given. And he's been told in verse number 1, Do what God says. Amalek did wrong by God's people. Go and destroy them. Now this is violent. This is brutal. But it's what God told him to do. He says destroy everything about them. Spare them not. It says slay man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, ass. Destroy it all. So Saul goes, and now he lays wait in Amalek. Verse. Uh, let's jump down to verse number 12. Um, no, let's read. Let's keep reading verse 6. And Saul said unto the Kenites, uh, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of, up out of Egypt. So the Kenites uh, departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites uh, from Hav- Havilah, uh, I believe I'm saying that right, until thou comest to sure that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, what's that word, alive? Wait a second. In verse number 3, it says, spare them not, man or woman. Yet here we see in verse number 8, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Wait a second. God said, destroy everything. Spare them not. The people and the animals, destroy them. Now we see that Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, oxen, fatlings, lambs, and all that was good. So they said, oh, well, that <laughs> that cow looks a little scrawny. Get rid of it. Now that cow's got some meat on it. Let's keep it. That oxen we can use. That one we can't. And they went through and they picked and chose what they were going to keep. Look in verse 12. And when Samuel arose to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord. Greetings, brother. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He announces to, to Samuel, I've done what God told me to do. Verse 14. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? Samuel was old. He was. Yet he could still hear Sheep bawing in the background. And he says, And lo, the lowing of the oxen which I hear. He says, Saul, what do I hear? Or maybe he said, Saul, what do I hear? Either way. He said it. And it says in verse number uh, 15, And Saul said, They have brought, listen to that word they. They have brought them from the Amalekites. And the people... Spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. You remember in Genesis, Adam and Eve. Eve takes of the fruit of the tree. and She bites it. She eats it. She gives it to Adam. He eats it as well. And so God comes to visit Adam and Eve in the garden. And Adam said it was the woman. She did it. And then the woman, Eve, said it was the serpent. Made me do it? Passing blame has been going on since the beginning of man. Here, Saul has the nerve to say, Hey, Samuel, guess what? We did what God told us to do. Man, shh. (laughs) Samuel's not, uh, he's a smart guy, and he says, Why do I hear sheep and oxen? And Saul immediately goes to they. Well, they kept the good. So, for the purpose of sacrificing it to God. And then he uses the word, we utterly destroyed the rest. They kept the good. I wasn't a part of that. We utterly destroyed everything else. Saul was in charge. He was the man in charge. He obviously is responsible for these things. But we see where Saul's um, heart was after. And we see it here in verse 18. Uh, And through verse 21, it says, And the Lord sent thee on a journey, uh, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the soil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, this is going to show where his heart is. He says, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which they should have been utterly which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Here it's very simple. The understanding, the the realization that his desires in his heart was after the people as opposed to after God. After himself and the people in whom he led as opposed to God. Verse 24, he says, Saul says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed against the commandment of the Lord. He understood that he did wrong, but listen, he says, And thy words, why? Because I have feared the people and obeyed their voice. What we fear shows where our heart is, I believe. If I fear God the way I'm supposed to, then I'm going to follow God. 98% of the reason why I obeyed my dad as a child was so that I didn't get spanked. It wasn't because I wanted to be this great person, this righteous person. I didn't want to get punished. So I obeyed. And I learned as I got older the importance of obeying and how it leads to better things and and other things. But, But there was a point in my life where the only reason why I obeyed my parents was because I feared them. Saul here was king. And he was king over God's people. And he feared God's people more than he feared God. And so his heart led him to do wrong. I, I don't know for sure what I'm going to preach on next week yet, but I, I plan on going to the, uh, the going to the verse and looking at the idea that the heart is deceitful and it's wicked. The world will tell you, follow your heart. That, it's not what the Bible teaches us. And here Saul, his heart feared the people. And he, he says, I obeyed them. Now he's still putting the blame on them, but he's as well as taking some responsibility now. But he's saying the people wanted to keep the best, and I was I, I said okay. Because I feared them. Today, in today's time, we fear our bosses, we fear our coworkers, we fear our relatives, we fear our neighbors, we fear whoever, we fear the stranger at the grocery store more than we fear God. And so we follow after the ways of self, selfishness, pride, uh, and fear of the result of doing what God wants us to do, as opposed to fearing the God who created us and His us in the situation that we're in. My wants, my desires, my fears lead me uh, to the wrong place. We see that in the people. We see that in Saul. We also see that in Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel 16. Samuel, the prophet of God. I don't like to put too much blame on Samuel. He's... He did a lot of good things in his life as well. But look in 1 Samuel 16. This is the story of David. Samuel finding David. Verse number 2 it says, uh, And Samuel said, How can I go? So the Lord told Samuel, Go, I want you to go down to uh, Jesse's house in Bethlehem and, uh, and then provide me a king from among his sons. In verse 1. So verse 2, Samuel says, Well, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he would kill me. Now listen, Samuel should have been better than this. In this situation. God, who has told Samuel to tell Saul, Saul, you're not, you're, your son's not going to be king. That's a big no-no. You don't tell the king that. But Samuel did that. Relatively bold boldly, he did that. Now God says, Samuel, I want you to go and anoint the new king. And Samuel says, well, how can I do that? If, I mean, if all years, I'm dead. I'm a goner. I understand the natural fear that comes with the what could be the result of my actions, right? If I cross the street, if I cross the interstate, I'm probably going to get hit by a car. And so, I, if someone says, "Hey, go run across the interstate ten times," I'm going to say, "No, <laughs> I'm not going to do that." But God here tells Samuel, "Go and anoint the new king." And Samuel goes, "Well, well, wait, wait, wait. What if Saul hears? What if he sees on Facebook that I posted, I checked in? You know?" Well, obviously, don't post it on Facebook, but uh, nonetheless, there's a fear here again. Now Samuel's fearing uh, Saul more than he fears God as well. Look in verse number six. And it came to pass. Eventually, Samuel went. God told him, "Take a take an ox with you to say you're there to, to sacrifice." Um, verse number six. And it came to pass when they were come, he looked on Eliab. This is Jesse's oldest son, and said, "Surely." The Lord's anointed is before him. Why did Samuel say that? Because he looked at Eliab and go, goes, wow, he looks like a king. He's the oldest in the family, so it makes sense that way. Um, I, I would assume that he's a, a kingly looking kind of guy. He's in the military. We read about that with David and Goliath. Eliab was in the army, so he's a soldier. And here uh, Samuel looks at him and goes, yep, he looks the part. Isn't that kind of what they did with Saul? Saul was taller than everybody else. He stood out. He looked like a king. Now Samuel's falling into the same traps it seems as though as well. He's not even, and listen, Samuel is obedient to God in this story. I don't want to to, to misuse that. But it's almost as though Samuel comes in and and he's just, you know, he's following his own heart to a degree here even. And he asks God and God tells him no. So that's, Again, I'm not trying to bash Samuel for doing the right thing, but but we see that same mindset that we fall into oftentimes. Well, this seems right. This looks right. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it, so I'm sure God's okay with it. Well, have you asked him? We ought to. Here, uh, he says, this, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And verse 7, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Look in verse number 8. Then Jesse called uh, Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And so Jesse's made uh, Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. So all these sons are walking by, parading past Uh, parading past Samuel, and each one God says, Nope, 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 nope. Now Samuel again knows that he was sent there to anoint the next king. So he asked, Jesse, do you have any any other kids, any other sons? And there is one more, and we know that to be David. So David comes, look in verse number 12, and he sent and brought him in. Now he, David, was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now back in 1 Samuel 13, Samuel, God told Samuel, Samuel told Saul, God has chosen a man after his own heart, not you, not your son, someone else. We see that as the people, they didn't have a heart after God. They wanted a king like everybody else had. Saul didn't have a heart after God. He refused to obey. His desires and his fear showed where his heart was. Samuel, at times, even failed to be a man after God's own heart. I think Samuel was a godly man overall. I think that Samuel did much good for God. God used him in many different ways. But now we meet David in verse number 12. What makes him a man after God's own heart? And that's what I want to spend the rest of the time looking at this morning. My dependence and my obedience to God lead to a heart after God. It is really that simple. Look back in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in, the, in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, or than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now this comes back to this Uh, this point with with Saul, he says, we did what we were supposed to do, we we destroyed, but we brought back uh, Agag the king, and we brought back the best of, or the people brought back the best of, uh, the things so they could sacrifice. And Samuel says to Saul, he says, it is better for you to obey God than to be religious, than for you to do a religious action. It is better for you to do what God told you to do than to sacrifice these lambs. Sacrificing was a very important part. It was, it was the symbol of prayer then as the smoke, as the, the, the offering was a picture of Christ as the smoke would rise was the picture of the intercession to God. And we see that, that sacrifice was a great act. It was not a bad thing to sacrifice. You did it because it was a good thing to do oftentimes. But sometimes we get so caught up in the, well, I'm doing good things, so I'm okay. When God says... But are you obeying? There are people today that I know that are in church today. I don't know the preachers today that are preaching today that my fear is, and I, I don't know their heart and I don't know what God's told them, but my fear is is that they are sacrificing and not obeying. They're in church today. Some of them are preaching today, some of them are leading singing today. And those kinds of things, but and I, I, my fear is, is that they think, well, I'm in church and I'm serving, so all is fine. The question is, is, but are you obeying? I'm not here to bash other churches today, and I won't do that, but we get so caught up in our, in our religious activity and our spirituality and our good things that we do, yet God's told us to do something else. There are people today who are probably helping out someone Maybe they go over to someone who's elderly. And today they are doing something good for somebody else. Maybe they're feeding the homeless. I don't know. But God's told them you need to be in church. You need to be plugged in somewhere where you can grow and continue to learn. You should be in church. Instead of going to church, they go out and they do other good things, but not what God's commanded for them to do. To obey is better to sacrifice. If you want to be someone who is after God's own heart, you have to obey what God's told you to do. Chapter 16 and verse 7, we see it uh, similarly again. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not upon the countenance of his, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God says, where's your heart at? You're in church today, but where's your heart at? Is it still in bed? <laughs> it happens, right? If we're honest, it happens. God says, you know, man can see your actions, and and actions are important, works are crucial, they're important. Well, it's another sermon for another day. But your heart has to be in the right place first. You have to obey. You have to obey with your heart. That is what obedience is. If my kids, if I tell my kids, go clean your room, and they stomp, and they scream, and they holler, and they go in, and they throw their stuff into their drawers, and they throw their stuff into the closet, and they slam the closet door shut, and they kick the drawers shut, am I going to go, hey, you guys obeyed, good job? <laughs> no. Why? Because they didn't obey. They did an action, and their room may look better. They didn't obey because their heart didn't obey. And it's the same with us as Christian adults. that do the same thing. Where we might do the right action, but our heart isn't right. We've got to obey. Verse number 12 of chapter 16 says, And he sat and brought him in. Um, now he was ruddy, David. And with all a beautiful countenance and a goodly to look uh, to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the man after my own heart. This is the, the person that I have selected to be the man after my own heart. Um, look in... Um, come back to that in a minute i apologize Uh, john 14 15 says if you love me keep my commandments god says if you love me do what i've told you to do i've told my kids that before my kids will say after a rough day going to bed i love you dad son i love you too but if you love me you're gonna have to do a whole lot better tomorrow you gotta prove it a little bit better Um, you have to obey uh, John fourteen twenty one says, "He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me." God says, "If you love me, you obey me. It's that simple. <laughs> if you love me, you obey me. You keep my command." Do we make mistakes? Yes, we make mistakes. But what is our life characterized by? Is it characterized by the mistakes that we consistently make? Or is it characterized by our love for God and our obedience to Him? Luke eleven, twenty eight says, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Turn with me to Acts chapter thirteen. This is a good verse. Acts chapter thirteen. Look in verse twenty-two. Acts 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised him up. That's Saul, when he removed Saul. Uh, He raised him up unto them, David, to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. God said, Saul, go destroy the Amalekites. All of them, completely, utterly get rid of them. Did Saul fulfill the will of God? He did not. Even in the simpler form of the waiting for Samuel to sacrifice, he didn't do that. Saul made many mistakes in his life as well. But let me ask you this. Did David sin? (laughs) Yeah, he did. Did Saul sin? Yeah, he did. So what makes him different? Do I sin? Yes. What makes me different from Saul or different from David? It comes back to this. What makes us different is are we willing to follow God? Are we going to obey God? Are we going to depend on God? Dependence and obedience, they go hand in hand. Why do I? Why did I obey my parents as a children? Because I, I depended on them to take care of me. And I didn't want to get shipped off the military school and let someone else take care of me. My parents wouldn't have done that. They would have... It would have beaten me hard enough that it would have worked out, but nonetheless, right? I depended on my parents to take care of me, so it was important that I obeyed them. I depend on God now to take care of me. I have needs, sometimes needs that I go, I can't take care of that myself. I remember a time in Tennessee, early on in our marriage, we, uh, we were getting ready to go to church and my wife pulled out the checkbook to write the tithe check. And she said, just so you know, when we whenever they cash this check, uh we've got like seven dollars left for the rest of the month. And we weren't in the last week of the month. And uh I said, Okay. You know, we've never had any both my wife and I, and I'm thankful for this from my wife. She never gave me any fits about giving. Sometimes she gives more than I think we're going to give for different things. We'll always ask. I'll make her tell me first. Hey, what do you think we should give? She's prayed about it and i prayed about it. What do you think we should give? And sometimes our numbers match up perfectly. Never once has her number come in lower than mine. It has come in higher than mine before. Faith promise sometimes. Oh, man. Are you sure we can do that? No. Okay. Well, we're going to do it anyways. Anyways, back to the story. I don't remember if it was $7 exactly. It was a low number in the bank account that we were going to have for the rest of the month. You know what happened? It was interesting. And this isn't the only time this has happened. We got invited over to someone's house for dinner that week. Well, we didn't have to buy, buy anything for that meal. And throughout the rest of that month, God provided in different ways for the needs that we had. I don't preach about giving a lot, but God tells us to give. And God teaches us that when you give, I will provide. I'll take care of your every need. I depend on God for that to this day. Um, I I don't pay much attention to the bank account, how much we got in, and because um, I know that I'll get anxious about it. <laughs> so I just you know, do we have the money? Yes. Okay, we'll pay the bill. <laughs> do we have the money for these? Yes, okay, get the groceries, those kinds of things. But But when it comes to tithing, when it comes to giving to God, I know without a shadow of a doubt that if if I'll obey Him, because I am depending on Him, that's why I obey Him, He's going to provide for me every single step of the way. You see, that's what God is telling us. David was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he's going to fulfill all my will. God God knew this was going to happen from the beginning, but but David is going to be a guy that even though he sins, and we read through the Psalms over and over and over again, of, of David pouring out his heart to God, God, I'm a sinner. God, I messed up. God, I've done wrong. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Clean me. David was, even though he made mistakes as we do, even though he sinned as we do, David always came back to God. David always understood, I messed up. I gotta get right. God forgive me. He was a man after God's own heart in the sense that he obeyed God always. And I say always and I think you understand what I mean by that. When he, when he sinned, he got right with God. He didn't blame other people for his sins. When he slept with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, he didn't go, well, it's Bathsheba's fault because of where she was showering. You never read that anywhere about David. It's Bathsheba's parents' fault because they made a beautiful child. Today, we sin and we start blaming. Well, God, it's not my fault. I know it was wrong and forgive me, but it wasn't my fault. This happened and that happened. And, and this, this thing, David understood I messed up. And throughout his life, it was characterized by his obedience and his dependence in God. Matthew chapter 6, if you'll turn there, we're almost done. Matthew chapter 6, this is the last passage we'll look at. Matthew chapter 6, look in verse 19. We've talked about this verse a couple of times already this month, but Matthew 6 verse 19, uh, it says, "...lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal." For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Skip down to verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It is impossible for us to serve God and serve ourselves. And I know I've said that already. Where is your heart at? Lay up, for yourselves, uh, lay up not for yourselves treasures in, on earth, where it can be destroyed, where it can rust and corrupt, where moths can get in and ruin it, where thieves can steal it from you. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Live your life the way God wants you to live it. And understand that the reward that you're going to receive from God is far better than anything, anything you can have on this earth. But if you're seeking and striving for yourself to gain for yourself, if your heart, if your desires, if your fears are on the things of this world, You're going to have maybe some things that you gain from it, but it's going to be destroyed eventually. You ain't taking it with you. You can't serve the world and serve God. You have to pick one. Where's your heart at? Look in verse 25, Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? And we got chickens. You know my wife's a crazy chicken lady. But at the end of the day, if we needed food, my wife would get rid of one of those chickens in a heartbeat. I say get rid of them. put it in a pot. Why? Because my life and my kids' lives are more important than those chickens' lives. And here that's similar to what God's saying. He said, The fowls they don't plant. They don't they don't have a garden. They have my garden sometimes, but they don't have a garden. They don't reap, they don't store things up in a barn for winter, yet God feeds them. You're more important than those birds. God wants to take care of you. Verse twenty seven Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? I've always wanted to be six foot ten. Thought that would be fun. But as much as I've dreamed about being six foot ten, I'm still at six foot. Why, it says in verse 28, why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how do they grow? They toil not, neither do they spin, they don't sow. And yet, I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God clothes the flowers, he's going to clothe you. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, uh, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient of the day is the evil thereof. Anxiety is not a heart after God. If I am every day sitting there going, well, how am I going to survive? Oh no, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And I'm giving myself high blood pressure. I'm giving myself all this fear and this anxiety. It's showing where my heart is. It's not after God. It's not after God. The Bible tells us over and over again, but very clearly in this passage, God wants to take care of you. God loves you. God cares about you. You're much more important than the birds that He takes care of. You're much more important than the flowers that He takes care of. Those flowers are here today and they're gone tomorrow. Thrown in the oven. You're much more important than that. So quit worrying about tomorrow. Quit worrying about a few months from now. Quit worrying about when your kids get older. That's a hard one for me. I see the way they act now and I have a lot of fear about what's going to happen to them when they get older. Quit worrying about those things. Our dependence on God shows where our heart is. Our obedience to God shows where our heart is. Is it a heart after God Or is it a heart after something else? It has to be one or the other. You can fall into where Saul was. It's not that God didn't use Saul. He did in many different ways. But you can fall into that category where Saul is, where you can do some average things in your life and still miss out on great rewards that you could have had because your heart's after the things of the world, after the things of yourself. Or, you can be like David. Boy, I've made some mistakes, just like David did. Not the same mistakes, but some, some mistakes like David did. Yet God says, before he anointed David king, and far after, he said, He's a man after my own heart. David depended on God. David obeyed God. What about you? What is your life characterized by when people say, when your coworkers, if I were to ask your coworkers, and if you were to ask my coworkers, hey, well, if you had to describe Raymond in three words, how would you describe him? What would they say? If you had to describe James in three words, how would you describe him? If you had to describe Vince in three words, how would you describe him? How would they know your character? What would what would the first things come out of your mouth, their mouth, about you? They'll show where your heart is. And it may be something as simple as, well, they're hardworking. Hey, that's a God-honoring characteristic. It is. That's good. I hope that's what they say. I hope they wouldn't say you're lazy. Dependable. On time. Kind. Caring. Uh, we do basketball on the weekends, the boys do, and, um, and it's in the Upward League. And at the Upward League, they give the coach stars to hand out after every game. They're different colors. And the different colors stand for different things. So you get a star for offense, a star for defense, a star for effort, a star for Christlikeness, a star for sportsmanship. And I don't remember if there's another one or not. And so after every game, <clears throat> the team that I coach, I have to hand out these stars. you got to give one to every kid. So you got to. Effort is the easy one to hand out. Hey, good effort today. <laughs> but uh, you got to hand them out, right? So after every game, I'm passing out stars to kids, and I, and I I've watched them all game, and and I try to tell them why they're getting their star if I can, if I know why they're getting it. And I said, this is why you're getting this star. This person did this, and this person did that. God's not going to give us stars or stickers or um, ribbons or anything like that but God's going to look at you and God already knows what you are and maybe today you're living a life more of on Saul's end of things where you're doing some some good things in your life but your heart isn't after God it's still after the world it's still after the things of the world so that means that today we have to say God I need your help I want a heart after you I want to be someone that you look at that is obedient and dependent on you for every aspect of life. I don't like the anxiety. Lord, would you help me to better depend on you? That I would follow you more? You see, we can have a heart after God even if we don't have it today, at this very minute. We can have it in the next minute. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a daily thing that we have to go, God, today I'm yours. My day is yours. My attitude is yours. My interactions with people are yours. My time is yours. God, use it according to what you desire that I may fulfill your will today. Sadly, there are many days that go by that we don't fulfill God's will in the day. Many days go by that we fulfill our will. Got through another day, survived it. What would you do for God today? It didn't hurt anybody. Mm, that's good. <laughs> but is that all that God wanted you to accomplish today? Was not hurt somebody? No. Let's have a heart after God. Let's seek and strive. And we need God's help to have it. We can't do it on our own. Let's ask God to give us that heart, that dependence, that obedience, to be a, a person after God's own heart. Lord, I pray for your help. We need it. We need it desperately. Our surroundings are not one that encourage us to have a heart after you but Lord your characteristics your love that should be enough to motivate me to follow you. God I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would develop in us a heart after you. It's going to take us to come to the realization that it's not there. That currently my heart is after myself or after the things of this world. And God I pray that you would move us, that you would change us, Lord, that you would search us, create in us a new heart, one that does follow you and one that does obey you the way we're supposed to. It's so easy to try to trick people into thinking that we're good people, but God, we cannot fool you, for you do not look on our outward appearances, you look on our heart. So God, may we you help us to develop a heart that is after you, that follows you wholly, that trusts you completely. That depends on you and that obeys you, I pray. If our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm not going to have an invitation this morning. But I ask you, if you don't have a heart after God today, I pray that you will. I pray that you'll seek God's help for that. And as always, if there's anything that I can help with, if there's any specific prayer that you have that you want me to pray for, let me know. But this is between you and God. Where is your heart if it's not where it's supposed to be? I pray that today you'll, you'll hand that over to God and that we'll be people and ultimately a church after God's own heart. Lord, help us. Give us what we need to do just this. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. Forgive us for the, the, the many times that we've let you down. But God, I pray that you develop a group of people in this church that all of our hearts would be where it's supposed to be so that our church can be as effective as you want it to be or that we can fulfill your purpose for this church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and break for lunch. And once we're all set up,